as you pick them up. We sang that song, or we at least heard that song sung at the cross. Our, our, his, his blood flowed red, but our sins were washed white. The forgiveness that we desperately need is at the cross. But you need to know, so much more happened at the cross than mere forgiveness. Although that would be enough. At the cross, we're told in Colossians 1, that Jesus triumphed over the forces of darkness, making a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And the reasons why that's so important is because the topic of our text this morning is hope in spiritual battle. Turning your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, we're continuing our verse-by-verse study of this incredible letter that always points us to deeper hope in Christ. And this morning's particular theme, as I said, is our greater hope in spiritual battle. Many of you know my story, but some of you don't. When I was 12 years old, uh, one of the reasons I came to Christ eight years later was because of an event that occurred. When I was 12, I snuck into a movie theater, and the film that was showing was the 1972 film, The Exorcist. It scared the living daylights out of me. It scared me so much that for years there were nights when I got out of my bed and slept on the floor. Because I was concerned that evil was going to hunt me, cause my bed to start shaking, and Satan was going to possess me. I was so disturbed. Now, you need to know, I grew up in an unchurched home, so I didn't know anything. I just knew what what the movie shared, and I was petrified. And I went to a church in our neighborhood. Here, Here I was, 14 years old, by myself, without my parents. I decided I needed to see a pastor. Now, I know... Now, what I didn't know then, the pastor I went to was a liberal theologian who didn't even believe the Bible was God's word. And so I went to him, not knowing that, petrified about the devil, and you know what he told me? Don't worry, it's not real, it's just Hollywood. He never told me about Jesus. He never told me the devil was real and God was more powerful than the devil. He never told me that I should be scared of the devil apart from Christ. But if I would turn from my own sins and righteousness and rest in Christ alone, that not only would God save me from my sins forever, but on the cross he defeated the work of the devil and he would protect me. So years passed. And I continued to live in fear. Finally, my sophomore year in college, someone shared with me the gospel of Jesus Christ for the first time. And not only did I know my sins were washed away, but I also knew that Satan could never have a part of me again as I put my hope in Christ. You know, it's interesting in the church, there are two extremes today. One extreme tends to give the devil more credit than he is due. 
and speaking of him of having more power than he really has over the Christian. The other extreme tends to dismiss Satan and minimize how he tends to be at work seeking to bring down the faith of believers. Paul gives us a balanced perspective. Do we need to be afraid of the devil if we're Christians? Absolutely not. Do we need to be on the alert? You bet. Do we have reason to be hopeful in the midst of spiritual battle? Absolutely. You need to realize that Paul in this letter acknowledges his trouble, his difficulty, his trial, along with Silas and Timothy, and even the difficulties, sufferings, and trials of the Thessalonian church. And under the inspiration of the Spirit, Paul, in talking about difficulties, sufferings, trials, temptations, and persecutions, drops a bombshell for some. And the bombshell is this. Behind every trouble, every trial, every temptation, every persecution, there is a real, supernatural, powerful, evil enemy bent on our destruction. In Ephesians 6, Paul couldn't be more clear. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the supernatural power of wickedness in the heavenly places. Martin Luther wrote a hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. He said the world is with devils filled. And he wrote this stanza. Did we in our own strength confide? All of our striving would be losing. Paul clearly says we face intense spiritual battle and yet we have great hope in that battle as long as we are looking to our Redeemer and Savior and His finished work on our behalf, on the cross. So let's all stand out of reverence for God's word. Follow along with me and notice how often Paul frames our difficulties in life in terms of spiritual battle. This is God's word. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. You see that? It wasn't just circumstances. 
Satan was actively at work to bubble up circumstances, to orchestrate circumstances that prevented Paul from discipling the Thessalonians. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we were destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you, for this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. May God bless the hearing and teaching of his inspired, infallible, inerrant, and authoritative word. This is God's word. He gave it to us because he loves us and he wants us to have hope in the midst of the spiritual warfare that we will be engaged in until Christ returns or calls us home. Let's pray. God, thank you that you teach us about realities that we don't often think about And we certainly don't necessarily see. So God, peel back the curtain. Give us insight. And most of all, give us hope in Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So, the key to hope in spiritual battle is found in chapter 3, verse 8 that I just read. Our marching orders. Paul calls us to keep standing fast, keep standing firm in the Lord. Did we in our own strength confide? Our striving will be losing. But if we stand fast in the Lord, the cross of Jesus Christ, his finished work, and our adoption as sons and daughters in the Father's family, That is our hope. So in this text, Paul has revealed, as I just read, three different titles of the devil. Personal evil that is aligned against us. And he does that to drive us to despair of our own strength so we wouldn't confide in ourselves so that we would get our eyes off of ourselves off of the devil and 
on to Jesus, our hope. Let's dig in. First of all, stand fast in the Lord for hope in your battle with the adversary. Look at verse 18 of chapter 2. Paul says that he and Silas and Timothy wanted to come back to Thessalonica. They wanted to disciple them. They wanted to mentor them toward further maturity in Christ. But circumstances prevented it. Now, we know from the book of Acts and earlier in this letter what those circumstances were. The Jews were creating riots and a ruckus so that Paul and Silas and Timothy were run out of town. Now, interestingly, those circumstances of people aligned against the gospel, Paul understands the battle behind the battle. Paul understands it may be people opposing the gospel. But what's really hindering them ultimately is not people or circumstances, but Satan himself. We wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. The word Satan is Hebrew. From the Hebrew, it means adversary. It means opponent. It means saboteur. Paul reveals that our adversary opposes us as Christians at every single turn. People, let me say this as bluntly as I can. What has happened to you in your life that is difficult, painful, that is a struggle, is not by accident. Evil has been hunting you to take you out your entire life. And it will continue to hunt you, to oppose you at every turn, all your days. Peter says in 1 Peter 5, Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And what we learn in this passage is that Satan is our adversary who opposes us most specifically at the place of our deepest godly desires and passions that God himself has placed in our hearts. Look at verse 17. I want you to notice the language that Paul piles up to reveal his deep desire to disciple and mentor the Thessalonians into maturity. He says, we endeavored, that means we strived, we endeavored the more eagerly. Not just eagerly, but the more eagerly. He is piling up vocabulary to reveal how deeply he's passionate to disciple these Thessalonians. We didn't only endeavor, and we didn't only endeavor eagerly, and we didn't only endeavor the more eagerly, and we didn't only endeavor the more eagerly with desire, but we endeavored the more eagerly with great desire to see you face to face. Whatever it is that God has placed on your heart with respect to deep desire and longings and passion and godly and biblical purpose, it is precisely at that place where the adversary will oppose you. And do not be surprised 
at those attacks. The word hindered in verse 18 is a military term. We can think about it perhaps in terms of what's happening in the Ukraine. It's a military term that means to blow up a road to prevent progress toward an objective. The Ukrainians are trying to hinder the enemy, but Paul is saying our enemy is trying to blow up the pathway toward the progress of attaining our objective, of seeing our godly desires and longings and purposes fulfilled. It means to take out a key bridge that you need to cross in order to attain your objective. Satan sets up landmines. Folks, do you understand what I'm saying? Paul is saying that the opposition that they were experiencing, the suffering and the afflictions that they were going through, it wasn't merely circumstantial. It was sabotage. And there was a personal evil behind it. So as you look at your marriage, you look at your parenting, you look at your, your, your life that's pursuing purity or God's purposes or your vocation or anything else related to the Christian life that you care deeply about. Every time you have a godly impulse, the adversary will be there to oppose you. Satan hates you. He hates everything about you. He hates everything you love and everything that God loves. And that's why he hates you. Do I have your attention? Now, the good news is in Christ we have nothing to fear. We simply need, verse 8 of chapter 3, to keep standing fast in the Lord. And all through this passage, Paul gives us textual clues of the hope that we have in spiritual battle. For instance, in verse 18, the word hindered, it is always exclusively used of a temporary obstacle. Paul uses a word that in itself reminds us, yes, Satan will try to hinder us. But all of his hindrances, all of his blockages, they're only ever temporary. Satan is on a leash, as we find out in Job chapter 1. Satan can only do what the omnipotent God in the heaven permits. We find out in verse 17 that Paul and Silas and Timothy were torn away from the Thessalonians for a short time. The Greek literally says for one hour. It's a metaphor. And Paul is reminding us that though the battle is intense... We need to stand firm because it is of relative short duration. Paul is saying you and I can stand fast in Christ. We can endure because it is 
an intense, although brief, battle. And oh, by the way, by brief, Paul means the longest it will last is our lifetime. But for all of eternity, we will be free from the battle. Is that your perspective? Even if we were to do battle our entire lives, it's a short period compared to eternity. So don't lose heart. Don't give up. Keep standing firm. And then he says, we were torn away from from a short time. And he noticed he adds, in person, not in heart. Folks, there's only so much Satan can do. There's only so much the adversary can oppose. He might be able to arrange circumstances to isolate us from being together face to face. But he can't separate us ultimately from the Spirit. He can't isolate. Paul was able in verse 10 of chapter 3 to pray night and day for the Thessalonians. Even though he couldn't be with him face to face, Satan couldn't stop Paul's prayers. Satan is not omnipotent. Satan is a created, limited being. God is omnipotent. Satan is finite. It's not a fair fight. I didn't understand that as a non-Christian. God is infinitely more powerful than Satan could ever hope to be. There are three practical steps that Paul gives us of how to stand firm in the Lord. First of all, in verse 1 of chapter 3, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind alone. First practical step when you face spiritual warfare, seek wisdom to do the next right thing. Paul didn't throw in the towel just because he was being hindered by Satan from being with the Thessalonians. He continued to seek solutions. He continued to seek the Lord's face. He didn't give up. He kept pressing on. What is it in your life where the enemy is opposing you, where the adversary is trying to hinder you and stop you? Paul says, keep standing firm and seek the wisdom and grace to do the next right thing. And that next right thing, it often involves self-sacrifice. In in Revelation 12, the Apostle John tells us how we overcome the enemy. First of all, by the blood of the Lamb. That's our hope, the blood of Christ. We just take our stand in the blood of Christ. Stand firm in the blood of Christ. Stand firm in the victory of the cross. You are unconquerable. And this is the word of your testimony. Keep on believing the gospel. And then he says, don't love your life even unto death. See, The Bible tells us that when we resist the devil, he flees from us. So persevere. Do the next right thing. And then verse 10 of chapter 3, Paul says he prayed most earnestly night and day. You want a good barometer as to whether you were confiding in your own strength and spiritual warfare? How's your prayer life? See, if all you're trying to do is seek solutions to hindrances, if all you're trying to do is the next right thing, then you're probably confiding in your own strength and your striving is going to be losing because you're going, up a ba- uh, in a ba- and you're going up against an enemy in battle that is many, 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 many hundreds of thousands of times more powerful than you are. 
But Satan trembles when a Christian prays. Because now the infinite resources of the risen Christ are being released on our behalf. And then the third practical step is not even in the text. It's in the next verse. Verse 11 that I did not read. Now may God our Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct, clear, or pave the way. We keep on standing firm, patiently waiting for God to show up. And see, we don't like to do that, do we? I don't. I'm impatient. But if there's anything the spiritual battle teaches you is to be patient in the Lord's presence showing up. You know, you, you, one of the most amazing stories in the entire Bible. Read it sometime this week. Daniel chapter 10. Godly man, right, Daniel? He's praying. Now, we know because God informs the reader of Daniel 10, we know what's going on. Daniel doesn't. Daniel's praying, and Daniel 10 pulls back the curtain on spiritual battle. We'd be absolutely astounded if we could see what's happening right now. Think about the problems in your life, the sufferings, the difficulties, the trials. You'd be astounded if you could see what's going on. The text in Daniel 10 reveals that God dispatches an angel to bring the answer to the prayer. Isn't that amazing? That God chooses a lot of times not just to merely answer prayer but he actually chooses to use angels to bring the answer to prayer? Why would he do that? I don't know, but he does. Now, the angel that's been dispatched by God to bring the answer to prayer, he is suddenly hindered. Why? There's a demon called the prince of Persia. The prince of Persia is dispatched by the devil. And he starts battling the angel that was, you can't make this stuff up. This is happening. This is happening in our lives, folks. The angel dispatched by God is starting to get overwhelmed by the prince of Persia, the demon dispatched by Satan. So the angel dispatched by God cries out, God! And God sends Michael, the archangel, the strongest angel. And Michael comes with the angel and they defeat the prince of Persia so that the angel originally dispatched by God brings the answer to prayer and Daniel finds his prayers answered. And that is happening in our lives. That is our hope. Did we in our own strength confide? Our striving will be losing. Do you realize what the stakes are, folks? This is for keeps. This is not a game. And I find myself filled with repentance at how pathetic my prayer life is. It's amazing my entire life hasn't been run through by demons. And this ministry hasn't been absolutely toppled 
by the work of Satan. It's only God's grace. But oh God, change me. Stand fast in the Lord in your hope and your battle with the adversary. And guess what? You ain't getting out of here by noon. <laughs> Secondly, it's all right, we'll let all the Baptists get through first, and then we will be able to get in line next. I probably shouldn't have said that. <laughs> Number two, stand fast in the Lord for your hope in the battle with the serpent. The second title Paul gives to the devil. Look at verse 5 of chapter 3. For fear that the tempter had tempted you. Now, the Greek there is a verb that gives the devil the title of the one who constantly, continually, and always is tempting. Tempting others. It's the same word used in Matthew 4, where the Holy Spirit leads Jesus in the wilderness. And the one who continually, constantly tempts, tempted Jesus. Now, what does the tempter tempt? The tempter tempts us to disbelieve God and to disobey God. The tempter's primary work is to tempt us to disbelieve that God's heart toward us is good. The tempter's main work is to try to trick us, bait us, lure us, and deceive us that God doesn't love us, that he doesn't have our best in mind, that he's not going to come through, and therefore we need to rise up by our own bootstraps and trust in our own power and ingenuity to try to overcome what the tempter is throwing at us. This is exactly what happened in Genesis 3. The ancient serpent, the tempter, did God really say? Do you know that I see that in our world right now? This, this is the number one temptation of the tempter to people in the church, let alone people in the world. Did God say? Folks, let me tell you something. I don't care who you are. If you begin to give in to the temptation that God's word is not God's word, you've lost the battle. If you are willing to say one dot of an eye or crossing of a T is not inspired, inerrant, and infallible, you are toast, and Satan has already won. It's happening all around us. Has God really said about this ethic? Has God really said about this element of morals? Has God really said about this area of truth? The tempter is always out to get us to disbelieve God's truth, God's word, God's promises, God's character. The tempter focuses his attacks on our faith. Look at verse 3 of chapter 3. Since the serpent, the tempter, can't unsave us, he seeks to unsettle us. He seeks to unsettle our faith. He attacks our faith through afflictions. That's why Paul says in verse 2, I sent Timothy to establish and exhort you in the faith. Satan focuses his attack on our faith. Our faith in God's word, our faith in God's character, our faith in God's promises, our faith in God's commands. The tempter never stops 
whispering to our hearts. Did God really say? Did God really say? Did God really say? He couldn't have been serious. He couldn't have been serious. He couldn't have been serious. Surely he didn't mean. Surely he didn't mean. Surely he didn't mean. As a matter of fact, he doesn't love you. And God knows that if you really did that, you'd experience fulfillment. And he doesn't want you to be fulfilled. The tempter is relentless. Look, he actually believed he could succeed with the Son of God. You need to realize that. <laughs> Satan, Satan wasn't going through the motions for the sake of fulfilling biblical prophecy. He really thought he was going to be able to be successful in tempting Jesus to throw away our salvation. And if he thinks he could have been successful with Jesus, what does he think about you and me? So Paul sent Timothy to establish the Thessalonians in the faith. And here we find a new hope in spiritual battle. And that is, we have got to be part of a fellowship. We have got to be part of intimate biblical community that seeks to establish us and exhort us in the faith. And if Satan can do anything, he will work to isolate believers from other believers. It's probably the greatest strategy he has in your life. If he can isolate you, from other believers who will help you be established and exhorted in the faith, victory on his side is almost certain. I'm amazed at what's happened over the past three years with COVID. The author to the Hebrews says, do not forsake the assembling together of yourselves as some are in the habit of doing. And let me tell you, that's exactly what's happened through the past three years. Some of us have gotten in the habit of not assembling together and we're isolated. And Satan is howling with glee because he has you just where he wants you. But Paul says, be in biblical community. Be around people who establish and, and exhort you in the faith. And then he says in verse 5 of chapter 3, he said, I had feared that somehow our labor would be in vain. Now that sentence is filled with hope because the whole sentence is filled with doubt. The, the way Paul says it, the verb tenses he uses, the vocabulary he uses in the Greek, it all says, I really don't believe that our labor was in vain. I really don't believe that the tempter had temp has tempted you successfully. And God is saying to us, look, just turn to Jesus. I've had dreams. I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but I've had dreams where in the dream I'm being attacked by the devil. I mean, not the devil. I'm not important enough. It was some minor demon. But I was being attacked. And part of the attack was I was paralyzed. I, I couldn't move in my dream. 
And, and I couldn't really scream out help. But as I stood there paralyzed, being approached by the demons, I realized somehow, God gave me the grace to realize in the dream, I could do one thing. The one thing I could do was, was, was to say Jesus. And in my dream, then, by the way, this is a recurring dream. This is something that happens actually fairly often. I say Jesus. And I'm immediately released. Now, please, it's not an incantation. It's not a spell. It's not magic. You don't, you don't just say Jesus like it's a magic formula. No, it is, it is with understanding, resting in the work of Christ on the cross as defeating the power of the devil and placing your hope afresh in that work that brings down and releases the power of God, that brings freedom from the tempter. Lastly, and I promise quickly, stand fast in the Lord for hope in your battle with the adversary, with the serpent, and lastly, with the thief. Look at verse 5. Paul says he had fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and your labor, his labor, would be in vain. Now, when we read that verse, I hope the first thing you think of is the parable of the soils. In Matthew 13, Jesus said that the gospel is the seed that is sown. Some of it is sown along the path. It's trampled down and the birds of the air come and they eat up the seed that was sown. When the disciples say, what in the world are you talking about? Jesus said, the soil that is on the side of the road that is trampled underfoot, that the birds eat, that is the heart where the gospel is sown and Satan, the devil, immediately comes and steals what has been sown from their hearts. Paul says, I fear that our labor might be in vain. Because he knows, as Jesus said in John 10, the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. And the thief is constantly seeking to come and steal the word of truth, the word of the gospel, the word of grace that is being sown in our hearts. Listen, this is why small group discipleship is so important. This is why life groups are so important. This is why just showing up on Sunday morning is not going to cut it when it comes to spiritual warfare. We need to have somebody continually press into our hearts what has been sown. Otherwise, the devil will come and devour what has been sown before it has an opportunity to bear fruit. And the greatest trick that Satan has foisted upon the hearts of Christians is that he's not really coming after you. I mean, why are you going to feel a need to be alert? if you really don't think it's much of a threat. 
Jesus in Matthew 24 said this, if the master of the house had known when the thief was coming, he would have never let his house be broken into. Folks, what's happening in your lives is not by accident. Real personal evil is behind it. Now, the beauty, God is absolutely sovereign. Satan is a pawn in God's story. But he doesn't know that. Well, actually, he's so prideful and arrogant that he, he won't believe that. He refuses to believe that. But Paul makes it clear that the thief is not going to win. In verse 9, he says, What thanksgiving can we return to God for you? Paul saw the answer to protecting our house as God. He doesn't thank the Thessalonians. He doesn't thank Silas or Timothy. He thanks God that God himself is responsible for the Thessalonians standing firm in their faith. What's interesting here is what Paul feared from Satan hindering and the tempter tempting was turned on its head. And what Paul feared could be the thief stealing the gospel actually resulted by God's grace using Satan and spiritual warfare to actually multiply Paul's joy and to increase the Thessalonians' hope. And that's exactly what God wants us to hear this morning. That place at which you are being most attacked has only been designed and permitted by God to actually increase your joy. And increase your hope. And give you an even deeper experience of Christ's victory on the cross. It's amazing that God could be so sovereign to even use evil to accomplish his good in our lives. But it's always been that way. Genesis 50, 20, Joseph said to his brothers, you meant it for evil, for harm, but God meant it for good to preserve many people alive. God said to Satan in Job 1, you can have all he has, just don't hurt him. Then God says, you can, you can take away his health, just don't take his life. And God multiplied everything ultimately in Job's life. God's not trying to hurt you. He plans on helping you. But one of his surprising means is spiritual battle. But you can stand firm you can stand fast. Jesus has won your victory. He is greater than everyone. And no one can take him out of your hand, his hand. 
So stand fast, dear flock, in the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I know that hundreds of people watching or who are here, I know the battle. God, I know the battle because I'm in it. And so, Father, we pray. We pray that we would simply lift up our eyes and look to our Savior. From whence does our help come? Our help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. God, I pray for everyone here this morning that is just battle-weary, that today would be a day they would find great strength in Jesus. And Father, for those whom the enemy has stolen the seed of the gospel so that it's not born fruit, I pray that today would be the day that that seed takes root and bears fruit. And Father, I pray that we would all leave this place with greater hope, greater joy, greater peace, greater faith than when we got in here. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand. Hear the benediction, the promise of God's favor upon our lives through the power of the gospel. Receive it. And now, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Abba Father and the fellowship and transforming power of the Holy Spirit be with you now and